What is up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of the NBA Showdown League podcast. So when we last left off in episode two, I had explained more or less the rules to the game, as well as a few nuances and sort of house rules that I have brought to how I play NBA Showdown 2002. On this episode, I want to talk more about the project ahead of us, uh, a certain project that I undertook in high school, and some of the methods that informed both of those projects. So the first thing I want to run down is a little bit of history between me and NBA Showdown, and I'm going to pick up where I last left off with this story, which is I had my complete set of cards, uh, you know, assembled over a long period of time in high school, which for me was the early 2000s. If you want to hear more about that, uh, or read more about that, it is definitely available on the blog and in, I believe, episode two of the podcast. But here we're going to jump in, me with my complete set, and of course the natural thing from there, the natural question you might be asking yourself is, well, what are you going to do with those cards that you have worked so hard to pull together? Well, I was most certainly going to take on some sort of grandiose project that was just like the NBA SL, entirely self-indulgent, uh, done more or less within a vacuum. I don't think I told anybody about it at the time. Uh, I know that I preserved many parts of it, in fact, all of it, uh, and the results of it, but it is only now that I'm really sharing them and building upon them. Anyway... What I wanted to do was I wanted to run a simulation se season with a set number of teams built out of my complete collection. I mean, you got to play with the cards at this point, you know? So I knew that I didn't just want to put together teams randomly. Things were going to have to be designed as such to be optimal uh, to showcase players that I might not otherwise have appreciated much in the real world uh, and just sort of explore the mechanics of this game considering I hadn't really played all that many games of NBA Showdown to that point. They were just the few that I had more or less coerced my father or a friend into playing with me. So... What I did was I started with the rules, which I knew, uh, and specifically I started with the rules for building a team because the game doesn't just let you slap together five all-stars uh, to be your starting five, uh, all of them with you know the best possible stats you can imagine and all that sort of thing. No, the game definitely puts constraints on you, just like in the real world, uh, there are constraints to building a team. You can't just go out and get every single player that is is good. Uh, of course, Golden State is kind of proving me wrong. Uh, as of this recording, they just signed to Marcus Cousins. So, 
I'm not feeling great about that. But uh, we'll leave that topic for another time. Let's go to NBA Showdown's rules for building a team. They are not too terribly complicated. In the rule book, what it specifies is that a team in NBA Showdown can total 5,000 player points. So player points are something that is on every card, and you can effectively think of it as the guy's salary. So if a guy is better and would command more money, uh, his point value is higher. The highest in the game is Shaquille O'Neal. You will not be surprised to know. And the diesel runs at 1,230 points. So you, if you were to you know, find an image of his card, which, by the way, showdowncards.com has images of all the cards, and I do intend to eventually provide images of all the cards via the blog, uh, just so that people can consult them. But anyway, I will shortcut it for you and just tell you that Shaq's card reads 1230 for his point value. Um, and that effectively means that if you want to have Shaq on your team, you have to dedicate 1,230 of your maximum 5,000 points for your team to Shaq. So everybody's got that point value on there, and it varies from 10 for the scrubbiest of scrub bench players, your Kevin Ollies and whatnot, on up to Shaq's 1,230. So there is the first sort of constraint that you've got and that you can only spend 5,000 points on your team. The next thing that a quote-unquote coach or owner of an NBA showdown team has to take into account is that you have to be able to, uh, you know, field a legit starting five. So for those who are unfamiliar with basketball, there are five traditional positions in the game. Uh, I say traditional and emphasize it the way I do simply because in today's game, these Positions and their definitions are becoming more and more outdated. The game is simply evolving. Uh, I will once again point to that Warriors team, the Warriors team that we've got today, as a, a team that very much embraces, I, I won't say positionless basketball, but a very different approach than your traditional positions. But that being said, Still, teams today use the designations that are used in NBA Showdown and that have been used for decades for what position a player plays on the court. So as I said, it's a starting five. Again, for those of you who don't know basketball, each team must have five guys, no more, no less, on the court at any given time. And those five positions are center. This is your big guy. Uh, sometimes referred to as a pivot. Uh, Shaq, for example, is a center. You've got power forward, which is typically your next biggest player. Uh, He uh, typically is not a super mobile guy, but he pulls down rebounds, typically pretty strong, true to the name of power forward. Um, uh, An example of a power forward would be Karl Malone or Tim Duncan, 
uh, Chris Weber. List goes on. After power forward, moving down in terms of your typical height and size of the guy, you've got small forward. Small forward is a very versatile position, and um, you have seen a massive variety of players at small forward over the years. Small forward very frequently has been used as sort of a catch-all thing, and a lot of people argue that you know small forward or wing as it is is... It takes up a larger chunk than one-fifth of NBA players. There are just a lot of guys that you can classify as this position because they are so versatile. LeBron James is—most people would slot him in as a small forward, but the guy can really do anything. Uh, In terms of prototypical small forwards, I I think a lot of folks would point towards, like, Scottie Pippen. Uh, He was very much, um, while defensive-oriented, he did a lot of things— that small forwards do, and he did a lot of them real well. Grant Hill might be another example from the 90s, a well-known one. The reason I'm using so many examples from the 90s is, again, because guys in the league today, yeah, you could call them a small forward in that they're listed as a small forward on a roster, but they do things that aren't typical of small forwards as, as the traditional definition allows. Anyway, I'm really waxing poetic on these positions. I'll move along to shooting guard is the next spot uh, down in terms of typical size of the guy. Shooting guard, well, they shoot. Uh, They are typically asked to do a lot of the scoring. Uh, Guys like this will frequently uh, have a good three-point shot, a good outside shot. Uh, Traditional shooting guards, uh, Michael Jordan was uh, played shooting guard a good amount of his career, he could shift. One of Jordan's strengths was that he could shift to different positions, just like I've been talking about with guys who are super versatile. But Jordan would be thought of as a shooting guard. Other shooting guards, classic guys, would be Ray Allen, Reggie Miller. Those guys are absolutely prototypical shooting guards in that their number one role is to score. They've got great outside shots. They don't do a whole lot other than scoring but they're typically pretty quick guys, and they find their spots. The last position on the court, and typically the smallest guy, is point guard. Point guard is probably the position that has stayed the truest to its definition over the years. Point guard, these guys are, again, normally the smallest guy on within your starting five, though that's not necessarily true. They frequently hover at about, you know, six foot three or six foot four. So, yeah, that real small, huh? Anyway, these guys do the majority of the ball handling. In other words, they dribble the ball up the court uh, at the beginning of the position, possession, and they're the one to normally distribute the ball from there unless they're going to sort of create their own play. Uh, point guard, once again, is one of the ones that stayed the most true to its original definition. And I can you know, list guys today who uh, you can't really argue that they aren't point guards. That is a guy like Russell Westbrook. Um, Chris Paul is a fantastic example of a point guard. Going back to the 90s, you've, you've got perhaps one of the most prototypical point guards and one of the best to ever play the game in John Stockton. You've also got Jason Kidd, who qualifies as all of those things as well. One of the best to ever play the position. Uh, other guys who have played it, you know, Stefan Marbury, I listed in the example. 
uh, in the last episode. Anyway, point guard is absolutely a very key position in basketball as well as an NBA showdown, as, as you'll get to see. Anyway, so you have to, when creating your NBA showdown team, you have to be able to field a legit starting five. And you've got your limit of 5,000 points for your whole team, but you also have a limit of 4,000 points, 4,000 of your 5,000. A maximum of 4,000 of your 5,000 can be dedicated to your starting five. So the game puts this additional constraint on you that you can't just dump all 5,000 into your starting five and have no bench players, bench players being your substitutes, your subs. So you have to, you may spend a maximum of 4,000 of your 5,000 on your starters which would leave you with 1,000 for your bench players. Now, the rules absolutely do allow for you to spend more than 1,000 on your bench players. That just means you can't spend that full 4,000 on your uh, starting five. So, you have, you know, options here. However, the the way the game ends up playing out is you're not particularly preoccupied with your bench. The thing is, is that any sort of reason to bring out your starter, uh, especially in NBA Showdown as opposed to the league, that there just aren't any real reasons. Your bench player is pretty much almost always going to be not as good. He's just not going to have the stats and the results on his card that any given starter would. And and that just is because you want to dedicate that full 4,000 to your starters. They play the bulk of the time during the game. And as I described in the last episode, the way I play the game, there's really, I, I, I don't bring in a bench player unless a guy, quote unquote, goes cold or rolls a natural one and gets that penalty marker, that cold marker. So... I'll segue into how I build teams. When I build teams, I, number one, take full advantage of all 5,000 points. I, not a, not any, any lower. Uh, it, all players have uh, a, a, a point value that is divisible by 10. So it lands on even 10 somewhere. I, you know, I cited Shaq at one, two, three, zero, Kevin Ollie at 10, but everybody is a multiple of 10. And uh, so I take exactly 5,000 points and I spend exactly 4,000 on the starters, leaving exactly 1,000 for the bench players. So now you see how uh, rigorous a process it is for me to build a team, but I've still got more constraints. So the next thing after that that I take into account is that my teams, I want them to be as distinct as possible from real-world NBA teams at that time, at 2002 when the game came out. So what I do for this is I don't allow on any given team more than one player to be from one real-world team 
as the card was printed. In other words, no team that I build will have two Los Angeles Lakers on it. It will not have Shaq and Kobe because I want to create a team that's totally unique that didn't exist at the time because this is truly a fantasy project. I am not trying to recreate 2002, the 2002 NBA. Uh, I don't want to see the Lakers go on to crush, you know, the, uh, who do they play that year? They played the Nets. I don't want to see that in my showdown league. I want to see two crazy teams that pair up guys who never played together. I want to see those two clash because that, well, (laughs) that, tickles my fancy for one thing, and I think it makes this experiment way more interesting. I think it would be a worthwhile experiment to run the teams as they are. Uh, In other words, play all of the Houston Rockets as printed together, uh, and all of the Charlotte Hornets as printed together, etc., etc., and play it out with all 29 teams at the time there were. But that's not for this exercise, maybe some future exercise. This project is going to place that additional constraint of not having more than one guy from a franchise. Another constraint that I place on the teams that I build is that no starter is going to have a point value below 450. Now, I will say this, 450 was pretty randomly chosen by me. I don't know why I chose 450, but the idea behind this is I don't want to trot out any scrubs. That just leads to more outliers in an individual game because they will yield way more points to way more production period to the guy that they are quote-unquote guarding. In other words, the guy who plays the same position on the team that his team is facing, that the Scrubs team is facing. It's also just kind of a pride thing. I don't know. You know, I've got access to literally every card in the game. And once again, you know, going back to the heart of the project of I've assembled this collection and I want to do something with it. Well, I want to you know, see the best players out there. And yeah, it might be interesting to, you know, play a season with like a lower point value cap or something like that, like a a budget season or something like that. We'll get to that when we've got time. For now, I want the stars to shine and I want to see crazy super teams, as I call them. So no starter below 450. So now we've got some fairly serious constraints just when it comes to building the starting five. But, of course, the thing about not more than one guy per franchise carries over to the bench. And on the bench, I once again, I'm going to spend all 4,000 points that you can allot to your starters on the starters, on those five guys playing those five positions, And I'm going to spend all 1,000 remaining of the 5,000 total points for the team on exactly three bench players. Those bench players, once again, not more than one from any given franchise across the whole team, that is. And 
in addition, I want to, across all eight guys, I want to have at least two guys who can qualify for each of the five positions. This being in case a guy goes cold. Now, this has a little nuance to it. That doesn't mean that the three bench players can cover all five positions. If one of my starters can shift to a different position and then by his card, you know, qualifying for two different positions, if he is a shooting guard slash small forward, if he can qualify for two positions and he could shift over, let's say it's a shooting guard small forward, my small forward goes cold, my starting small forward goes cold, he needs to come out, the shooting guard small forward can shift over to small forward and a guy who only qualifies for shooting guard or maybe who qualifies for point guard slash shooting guard can come off the bench. I'm realizing that one thing that I didn't mention about players and the positions they can play is that a guy can qualify for one or two of the five positions that I introduced at the beginning of the episode. Across the board, especially within this game, but typically within the NBA, a guy doesn't qualify at more than, well, qualify is a bad word to use there, but a guy doesn't play at more than two positions. Of course, again, that's becoming less and less true as time goes by. There are guys like, I don't know, Draymond Green and LeBron, of course, who, I mean, you could list them as any position on the court and they could theoretically, quote unquote, play that position at any time on the court. Uh, But staying strictly to the NBA showdown definitions of the positions and the way they're defined here, the guy qualifies for more than one position he is going to qualify for two quote-unquote adjacent positions. That means point guard, shooting guard, one of the two guard, smaller positions on the court. Shooting guard, small forward. So those guys are called swingmen frequently. So one of those two spots. Small forward, power forward, one of the two forward spots, those being like, you know, the second biggest and third biggest guy on the court. Those guys are frequently called tweener forwards. And then finally, power forward or center. These are just big men who uh, could play either the power forward or the center position. And especially, I will say that back in the 90s, those positions were more closely linked. Though, then again, in today's era, very many big men you would just call them big men because they don't really fit the definition of a power forward or a center. Anyway, here I go diving into the evolution of positions. Anyway, in NBA Showdown, uh, you qualify for one or two positions. It's either one of the five or it is two that are, like I say, consecutive uh, in that rundown. Anyway, back to this rule about at least two guys can qualify for any given position on the court in my teams. That is, once again, in case a guy goes cold, that means that somebody else can come in at that position, be it another starter shifting over from their position or a bench player coming in. And it also means that if a guy has to shift over, then a, a, another guy off the bench can come in for him. 
but that is, again, with spending exactly 1000 on exactly three guys, none of whom are from a franchise that one of the starters is from. So, yes, all of this, all of these mental loops go into my building teams, and it is kind of hard. I won't lie. Like, as a mental exercise, it is very difficult, and that is for somebody who, at this point, I pretty much have every single player in the game in NBA Showdown, all 228 printed players. I have their point value more or less memorized. And I know, of course, what team they're from. And I know what positions they qualify for. So pretty much the only thing that I'm short on is their speed and power and their results chart. Uh, But I have all of the relevant information uh, stuck up there in the punch bowl, as it were. It is amazing the things that we humans carry around with us. Though I, I will say I've, I've certainly put it to work over my time. Anyway, going back to the project that I undertook in high school and how all this information relates to it, I wanted to play out this season, and I wanted to play it out with a set number of these super teams. How that process... Uh, occurred, building these super teams, of course, being the first step, that was, well, it was a heck of a process, and I undertook it almost entirely just within my head in spare time that I had. You know, I was in high school at the time, and I, you know, I had bus rides in the morning and in the afternoon. I had Um, you know, (laughs) frankly, class periods that were just kind of boring. And I had, well, I won't, I won't lie. I'm I'm a pretty frequent daydreamer. So I would frequently just daydream up teams. And how I would normally do it is I would start with one or two guys, typically two guys that I thought, huh, you know, these two guys would make a very strange combination out on the court. We never have seen this in the league before. We've never seen, I don't know, Shaq next to Steve Nash. Uh, Funny enough, we would see them a few years later on the Suns, but at the time, we'd never seen Shaq with Steve Nash. And so I would add their two point values together and start looking for a, a power forward or a small forward or a shooting guard that could, you know, play next to these guys and and I would build the team like that, and eventually it would come down to one guy, one position that I needed to fill, and from there, it's, you know, if I've been adhering to the other rules, it's a lot easier. You come down to a set number of players who might qualify with their point total, who might qualify at the position, who might qualify with the whole not more than one guy per franchise thing, So yeah, it was just this exercise in mental math that I went through, this trial and error process to build these teams. And if I actually found one and, you know, it wasn't using a player from a team that I'd already built, uh, first off, I patted myself on the back because that was, you know, took some patience for sure, if not skill. And, uh, you know, I jotted it down and I slowly amassed and I do mean slowly, it took, you know, two or 
three, probably, like, not three, but probably, like, two years. And some of this was overlapped with assembling the collection. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it took a while. Uh, but I eventually ended up with 12 of these super teams. So I've got these 12 super teams adhering to all of my crazy OCD rules. And it was time to play out the friggin' season. And so what I did was I sketched out a 132-game schedule. And very slowly, all by my lonesome, with no, you know, no publicity for sure, uh, no real effort to gain any kind of attention. I just played out these games for the fun of it to see how things would go. And I got a heck of a kick out of it. Uh, it was really interesting. All these guys, you know, keep in mind, all the guys I was playing with were still in the league at the time. You know, this was like eh, 2005, like summer of 2005 was when I like really started to get games underway. And I was just playing them by myself and keeping stats with pencil and paper and uh, killing trees left and right. And I, I, you know, it took a couple of summers and, you know, I graduated high school in 2006 and uh, went up to the University of Georgia and uh, on summers, during summers when I wasn't up at school, I would knock out more games. And it took three full summers, I think. I think it took not, you know, like playing games all day or anything, but I'd knock down like three or four in an afternoon or something. And yeah, I had I had jobs those summers, but that didn't mean I didn't have time to knock down three or four games in an afternoon, you know. Uh, so I would, I would play out these three or four games. I'd keep the stats. Uh, I would do it all by hand, you know, rolling the die and, and doing the math and, uh, you know, keeping the assists and spending the assists, how I, uh, how I had devised how to spend them, you know, as though I'm trying to maximize both teams results and whatnot. I played through this whole season, played a three round playoff at the end. And it was a heck of a massive experiment. Had all the stats at the end of it. And I built a website to house all these stats. And, you know, I never published it. I built it in uh, a very old, you know, like very early 2000s uh, offline web editor program that was, you know, not honestly bad for what it was, but... Um, yeah, I built it in that. It wasn't particularly good looking or anything, but it housed the stats. And then I just never I just never published it. You know, I had plenty of places I could have hosted it. Anyway, uh the good news is all of those results are now available on the blog because yeah, I kept everything and I have now thankfully digitized it all and you guys can go see what I have dubbed the season zero results. Uh, so season zero is in the books. I call it season zero because it was sort of a proto season for the NBA showdown league. First off, I hadn't come up with the NBA showdown league or anything like that. I didn't know what I was going to call the league. I think most of the time I just called it the league in my head. Um, again, it was a project entirely for me, um, and not that the NBA SL as it is today isn't more or less entirely for me, 
but um you know uh that was um a, a, very much to me a proto season it established the rules it established how it would play games uh but it did predate uh this effort as it was getting around to this effort um basically what i decided uh just in periods of boredom uh you know during i don't know slow work days over the the past few months probably going back to i don't know around around the beginning of 2018 i just got to thinking well you know this collection is is still just sitting there and i'm i'm super proud of it and whatnot but it is truly unique i enjoyed the heck out of conducting the experiment that I did in high school, why can't I do it again? I'd honestly always wanted to build out more super teams. Uh, One of the reasons being, of my 12 super teams that I built for season zero, for the proto season, none of them had my favorite player, Vladi Divac. I mean, like, what was I thinking? You got to get Vladi in there. So I had to build a team with Vladi at the very least and run another season with that. Um, the issue was that despite having slow days at work and, you know, time when I'm just kind of daydreaming, you know, when I'm working out or, or whatever, um, I was I was just having a lot of difficulty building more teams. And most of that is for lack of trying. And I think one of the reasons I wasn't putting so much effort into doing it by head is that I knew in the back of my mind, there's an easier way to do this. Uh, at that point, you know, I mean, I'm a big consumer of, of stats and data and game theory kind of stuff. Uh, plus, I, you know, I've tinkered around in programming. Uh, so... I knew that there was a far more advanced way than mental math and trial by error to come up with these super teams. And there was a way that I could, actually not I, but there was a way that it could be done that these teams would be, they would fit all of my parameters and they could be, you know, generated uh, in bulk all at once, um, and that I would have my pick from super teams. So what I did, not really thinking that there would be any response, was I put together a a long post that goes over all of those wackadoodle rules that I just listed for building super teams. I put together a long post and I put it up in a subreddit looking for coding help, r slash coding help. Now, no shade at the good folks over at r slash coding help, but I got crickets. Nobody was interested in telling me what language it needed to be written in, what format the program could take if it was a simple task or an extremely difficult task if it was going to take some sort of a supercomputer I highly doubted that because there was no way that an exercise like this that I had actually done was going to need a 
supercomputer. I figured probably a calculator computer could do it uh, far faster than me. But anyway, nobody was able or had the time to give me any insight onto that. So I was a little bummed out, but, uh, you know, I continued to sit on the egg, uh, hoping that something would dawn on me, that somebody would get around to it, that I would think of another resource. The funny thing is that resource was, well, I mean, he was sitting in Grayson, uh, texting me here and there. I would hang out with said resource every now and then. Uh, he was a very good friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. Uh, that is Matt, the vice commish. You see, Matt was a computer science major at the University of Georgia and a roommate of mine. And we have known each other since we were 13. We went to middle school and high school together. We have been friends since we were 13. We have bonded over many, many things, including the NBA. He is a big NBA fan. He loves games, specifically video games. He's more into shooters and whatnot. But um, Matt is one of my closest friends. Uh, He is one of the few people that I am in, you know, like, very frequent contact with, and uh, the question you guys are all probably asking right now is, well, why the hell didn't you talk to Matt in the first place? Like, why didn't you just go to him? Well, (laughs) here's the thing. You know, Matt's an adult, too. Like, you know, he's got adulting to do, and, I mean, we live together. The guy knows how nutso I am, how OCD I am, and how... I've got all these weird little things flying around in my head and, you know, these strange mental math exercises that I put myself through. He knows all about this. I'm not embarrassed to to put this out in front of him, but I don't know. You know, he's got stuff to do. And I don't know, he might not want to read my weird-ass post and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, eventually I did it, just because, I don't know, Matt's that good of a friend that he's going to read it, at the very least, and give me some kind of insight. So, he reads it, and the guy's response, I mean, I should have accepted it, because this is the kind of friend he is, he just immediately gets to work on it. He gets to work on building an app in Windows uh, to create these teams, and, jeez, what a saint. My vice commish was waiting the whole time uh, for this project, and um, since then, well, uh, that was around the time that I created the blog and started chronicling all this, so uh, that is probably where I'm going to leave this episode. Um, What I want to do with the next one is I want to have the vice commish join me, talk a little bit about building the app. And together, we will talk a little bit about uh, the remaining steps that it has taken to get uh, the NBA Showdown League underway, which, as of this recording, we have selected teams uh, for Season 1. We've named them. I've come up with goofy logos designed in Microsoft Word. Note, Microsoft Word is not a good program to design in. In fact, I I hesitate to even use the word design. Anyway, uh, so that is where I'm going to wrap up this episode. I had found my vice commish. He was 
feverishly at work on the app. I was establishing our presence on the blog and social media and starting to daydream up this podcast. Next time, we'll go into building the app and getting set up for the NBA Showdown League. Uh, But now I am going to say goodbye and thank you very much for listening to this episode. I'm also going to invite you to, once again, follow us on Facebook, search for NBA Showdown League, um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. That's at D-I-R-T-Y-C-U-R-D-Y-2-7. You can also check out the blog. You might very well be on the blog to listen to this podcast. That's nbasl.wordpress.com. And there, as I mentioned, you can check out all of the proto-season stats and the final standings. I've also got the rosters for Season 1 up. You can marvel at the fantastic logos I built in Microsoft Word. But anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you again, and we will see you guys next time.